Well, welcome to School Days, Help for Moms and Dads of School-Aged Kids. I'm Danita Bailey. And I'm David Bailey. Today we're talking about trauma and its effect on students. Trauma is really more common than we realize. According to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Association, by the age of 16, more than 66% of children have experienced at least one traumatic event. Some common experiences include bullying, um, loss of a loved one, divorce of parents, and life-threatening illness or accidents as well. So when you were teaching, did you experience um, any students that, or did you see any kids that had uh, traumatic events? Oh my goodness, yeah. I mean, I can go back to when I was in high school in my junior year, and uh, one of our classmates died in a car accident. That happened it, to me too. Yeah, and it just it just rocked our whole you know world, I and mean, we were just in utter shock. And you know, it was hard for my classmates to to focus. Um, you know, I didn't know her really, really well, but um, the ones that I knew that knew her well, it really impacted them in a way that, you know, it was hard for them to focus. Mm -hmm. uh, I've seen kids that have been, you know, physically abused. I've seen kids with... When you were teaching? Yeah, when I was teaching, uh, literally with slits on their arms, uh, kids that have been sexually molested. Uh, I've had kids who's, you know, abandonment. Uh, by a parent that just said, I don't want to be in your life anymore. Oh, my gosh. Um, and I remember one student, he his dad didn't want him, and his mother died, and he was living with his grandparents, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I saw all of the you know, overflow of that into the classroom as far as behavior goes, and so it, it really plays a big role. And um, did you have to take special steps to kind of assimilate him back into the classroom? Well, it, you know, I had to meet, I met with the grandparent um, to, just to talk about, because, you know, when you see things, you, you see behavior, but you don't necessarily know right. the story behind what's right. going on. Um, but once I heard the story, it gave me more compassion, because first I thought mm -hmm. he was just clowning, right. like this kid's just acting out in the classroom. And then when grandmother told me his story, my heart just broke for him. Mm -hmm. And Perspective. Yeah. So, you know. What I learned is what you see isn't always what you see. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times there's more to the story than what's going on outwardly. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. good. Well, before we go any further, let me just remind everybody that it does take a village. If you hear a great parenting tip or a nugget of advice, make sure to share it with your parent friends. Facebook it, Instagram it, tweet it, link it in, and add the hashtag School Days Show and I Am School Days. And we also want you guys to be a part of the show. So if you have an experience that is relevant to what we're doing today, if you've experienced um, a traumatic experience or your child has um, and you want to share your experience, or if you have a question of our guest, we want you to go ahead and call in. And um, that number is 214-431-5062. So David, can you introduce our guest, please? Yes, I'd like to introduce Michael Flores. Uh, Michael is the owner and director of Brighter Possibilities Family Counseling. Michael has worked in many settings, including nonprofit, treatment centers, and private practice. Brighter Possibilities currently has contracts with Tarrant County Juvenile Probation, where they provide counseling services for youth and their family. Brighter Possibilities also receives court orders from the Tarrant County Family Court to provide counseling for parents and children. Michael is the developer of Team Integrative Solution Focused Therapy designed to work with at-risk youth and treatment providers. 
He is the proud father of three children and a blessed, or as we say, blessed <laughs> husband. <laughs> yes. That's correct. Well, welcome, Michael. Thank you. Thank Thanks you for having for me. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Well, let's just jump right in. Um, can you tell us what are some of the most common traumatic experiences that students and children experience? Well, in my work, a lot of what I see is divorce. I think divorce is a big one. I think the mm -hmm. death uh, is another one. Um, actually, what's interesting, uh, and I don't even know if we could call it a trauma, but sometimes it's the return of a parent. A parent's mm -hmm. been absent for so long. Oh, wow. And yeah. the parent comes back years later and wants to integrate into their lives. And that in some ways can be, you know, semi-traumatic because it's, you know, I've grieved you. I've, I've let you go mm. and here you are, you've returned mm -hmm. and I don't know what to do with this or what to make of it. And it's that, that constant fear. You could leave us again. You can, mm. so sometimes people don't recognize that, you know, you, you look at that and say, Hey, they're back involved. That's a great thing. But you know, in some, for some kids, it's not. We've I've I've developed this um, way of dealing with it, and now you're back, and I'm not sure how to handle that. Right. So I I view trauma more as a. It, it's more of an experiential thing. Like anything you value or you put meaning on, and if it's taken from you or removed, that typically can become a traumatic experience. Mm. So something for some person may not be traumatic, and something for someone else could be. It just depends That's on the value and meaning we put on those things. Yeah. So. Yeah. So divorce and what are some other common yeah divorce things um, death I think that happens um, it goes as far as even a friend if, if some kids will come in and they'll talk with us about a friend that's hurting themselves that like we're talking about self harming behaviors mm -hmm. that can be traumatic too not sure how to help their friend and some mm -hmm. kids they think well I'll join them you know I'll I'll cut too and, and that way they're not alone because wow. we don't want anyone to feel alone and a lot of kids do that they kind of assimilate together and and want to help each other and not sure how to do that or who do I tell do I tell a teacher do I tell a counselor will they hate me if I go tell mm -hmm. that they're having a problem or this issue they're having so sometimes kids have that trauma too with friendships and relationships you know and not wanting to hurt those or scar those things mm -hmm. so that can be traumatic um, there are situations where uh, kids need hospitalization um, and what's really sad is I've seen where kids have gone into a hospital setting and that's been traumatic the experience there because they've seen other things that are going on with other kiddos and they're like this is oh, real wow. life mm -hmm. so there's just so many areas that that can that can occur in and um, I think that's something we all have to consider yeah so uh, what are some symptoms of trauma like how how would from a parent's standpoint um, would they recognize that there is trauma going on sure I think I think that there's a couple of areas. So if we look at things like attachment, uh, the biology, um, their their way of regulating affect, I think all those things are things you can look into. So things you might see is like boundary problems, uh, suspiciousness, distrust. Um, I think they'll have difficulties um, with other people in emotional states. If they're put in highly emotional situations, sometimes they act out. They either get really quiet or they do the opposite. I always tell uh, parents, think of kids like on a dial, like on the boiling, like where you're uh -huh. a pot of water yeah you know sometimes you have a kid that comes in your classroom and they're at a 10 and they're boiling right away they walk in and they're just mm. at it and, and not realizing like you said there's a story behind that right I think the thing we have to consider is that all behavior has purpose and we have to understand what the behavior means so that we understand how we can help it yeah if that makes you know if that makes any um sense there um, some of the biology things, uh, you know, things with coordination, balance, body tone, um, somatization, which is really kind of the somatic feelings. I think somatoform things are things that people don't realize is kids actually have physical pain. They'll complain of a tummy hurting yeah. or my head hurting mm -hmm. and not realizing mm -hmm. that it's actually due to a nervousness or a fear. A lot of times what you find with trauma is a detachment. And I think kids will detach from certain things because they want to protect themselves. 
And that's sometimes the ways that they do that. And they do that in unhealthy ways. Mm-hmm. Um, get into adolescent stages, they may try drugs or alcohol or get involved in those things, not realizing they're trying to deal with some kind of event that Numb occurred the in their life. And they're trying to self-soothe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's things like that to look for, if that gives you guys some insight on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do you know? So it's my understanding that you can have a traumatic e- event and mm-hmm. then recover from that well but how do you know if your child needs to actually go into counseling that's a great question um i think for parents the best thing i can tell them is trust their gut Mm -hmm. i think a lot of times um parents we put so much pressure on ourselves we don't want to be wrong we don't want to miss it we you know we don't want to do all these things so we're hyper vigilant to certain things and sometimes we push too quick Mm -hmm. but i would say if your gut tells you there's something here i need to get this looked into that's when i think you trust it into a professional Mm -hmm. i think one of the things i like to tell parents if you have a child that's 10 and younger i would consider using what they use which is play i think Mm -hmm. there's play therapists rpts and i'm not one of them so i give them so much credit but an RPT is able to go in and utilize a child's world, which is in the play world, as a way of helping to therapeutically assist them. So I think 10 and younger, utilize that as a strength mm-hmm. and, le- and let the play kind of unfold. When a parent needs to decide whether or not they take their kid to counseling, I think it comes down to when your kid is detaching, they're not interacting, you see a, a major mood change, if they're having lots of complaints, it's okay to have them come on in. Let it, let someone else take a take a swing at it just to check in. Sometimes someone like ourselves comes in. We're a non-threatening person. They may open up to us and talk to us about you know their friends, you know a, a death. Um, there was one little girl I worked with. Um, parents didn't understand what her behavior was. She was a straight A student. She always you know was involved. She was a very um, likable kid. And and one day she came to school and she just wasn't interacting. She was disengaging from people and everything. And it happened over the course of years. Three years this happened. At the third year, the parents brought her in and said, hey, we're not sure what's going on, but this has been going on for about three years. Now, some of us may think that's a long time to wait. But in actuality, we weren't sure. So Mm -hmm. the parents wanted to move kind of at her pace. She came in to sit down, and the first thing she brought up to me was her grandfather. Oh, no. Mm. And I said, it's interesting. Tell me about your grandpa. He seems pretty meaningful to you. And she started to dialogue about him, and she started to tear up. And, and instead of saying those are sad tears, they're happy tears, I just asked her what the tears meant. I noticed you're crying when you talk about your grandpa. What do those tears mean? She says, well, he passed away. Mm. And I mm. said, yeah. I said, how have you dealt with that? And she says, I haven't. I haven't. And so mm. that's one of those things where you just kind of want to understand their world. And I think one of the things I tell teachers and parents and, and, uh, and friends and whoever I'm talking to is, if you seek first to understand, then you'll be understood. Mm. And I think a lot of us, we, we try to fix everything rather than just saying, let me understand where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Let me just see what this world looks like for a second. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that's necessary if you really want to be helpful. I think that you bring up a really good point about grief that, mm-hmm. you know, it's everybody grieves differently. And just because it's been uh, some time has passed does not mean that they're over it, especially if they haven't done any work to kind of to work through those feelings. So that's something um, to be to be mindful of. Um, so can can children who experience traumatic experience, can they go through a kind of a grieving? Um, what, are, what are kind of the signs of grieving or the stages of grieving? Yeah, really there's, well, there's, a, there's a model by Kubler-Ross, which is the five stages of grief. And of course, as adults, it, we're going to deal with it a little differently than the right. kids are going to deal with it. But the five stages, I mean, you're going through depression, you're going through shock. Um, these are not in order, by the way. But you're going through depression, shock, anger, bargaining, acceptance. These are all these different stages within the grief cycle. Mm-hmm. Children do it over a course of time. 
and because I think children already have this developed resiliency. See, a lot of things that as adults we lose we lose track of. Kids learn how to live in the moment. Mm. So it, I guess I'll use my own story. My mother died when I was four years old um, to suicide. And, and I can remember being a child and growing up and, you know, just trying to figure out how to make sense of everything that happened. I mean, mm-hmm. one day mom's there, one day she's not. And <clears throat> as I'm asking questions of my family, my father, there are all these different kinds of questions, but it happened over the span of about 16 years. Wow. So my grief cycle was a 16-year cycle, and it wasn't a, a rapid movement. It was kind of a, a healing for me. And mm-hmm. I don't call it like, oh, you're grieving. It, you're healing. And it, and it takes time. Everybody heals in a different way. And that was something – the one thing I respect my father for was that he never answered any question I asked that was more than what I asked for mm-hmm. because I wasn't ready for that yet. Yeah. I asked only what I was interested in. So if I said, hey, was I a good son? My dad would answer that question. But he wouldn't say, oh, by the way, your mom also this or that. Mm-hmm. He would just yeah. give me what I asked for. Mm-hmm. And that uh-huh. was that was it, the end of the conversation. And I thought that was a pretty powerful way to handle it. Looking back and reflecting, I can see how he was letting me have my space so that I could get through the healing. Yeah. And I think that's something we have to respect in our children is they have resiliency. Yes, they can be in the moment. But every now and then this little thing will, will creep in. Yes. There will be a question. They want to ask it. So mm-hmm. answer it. Yeah. But just answer what they ask for. Don't give them more than that. Okay. Move at their pace. Okay. I think that's something we have to respect in our on our youth. And so, people that experience traumatic experiences that are not a death in the family, do they also go through a grieving process, so like a fire or yes, something like that? Absolutely. I think even losing a pet, hmm. uh, you can think of a kid. You know, their goldfish dies, right? Right. And, and you have, to, and one of the things the parents did, I thought was really, was they had a ceremony mm-hmm. for the goldfish. Like and, the Cosby I mean, we may show. chuckle at that, but. <laughs> But for the kid, it's meaningful. Right. Mm-hmm. And remember what I was talking about earlier in trauma. If it has meaning and value, it can become a traumatic right. experience. It, or it can become a very beautiful experience because mm-hmm. it has meaning and it has value. It's how that yeah. child values that thing. And so that goldfish means something to that child. So absolutely, it can be a pet. It could be a house fire. My, my house burnt down because that's my sacred place. Yeah. You know, so it, that it, house had meaning. Place of safety. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you know we have to honor with our children is if we don't put value on it we're like i don't know why they're stuck it doesn't mean they don't have value in it mm-hmm. does that make sense right. you know that you may have not been close to the the fish but the kid was or a dog or right. or the house you know i was wanting to sell the house anyway i'll get the insurance check no you know <laughs> right. but the kids yeah that kid that's their home yeah you know that's so they know it, it's about understanding them rather than trying to be understood right and i think that's important for trauma so and, what well yes. i'm sorry so what what are some of the ways that parents can do this wrong with helping their children go through this process? What are some of the common mistakes that parents make along the way? You know, that's a great question, and I'll tell you why I like that question. I like the question not because um, I'm I'm typically more what we can do right, but the reason I like the question is because so many parents want to know that answer. They want to know what what am I doing wrong. And, And what I tell them is if you feel like you're doing too much, you're probably doing it wrong. Because it shouldn't feel like you're doing too much. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to move at their pace. I think that's the big key is sometimes we want to push the kids through it. Because as a parent, think about it. Or even as a teacher, when you see a kid who's struggling, it's hard for you too. Mm-hmm. Because you feel like, i got to help them. Yeah. But they're already helping themselves. They don't want to feel that way either. They're working on their healing. But we just have to want to move with them. Not for them. Not force them. Move with them. So one of the things I think parents do is they try to move them too quick. I think they try to enforce things, push things. They try to be uh, logical. They try to teach them rather than listen to them. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's something we have to do better in giving them a voice to let us tell us their story. Uh, you had talked about that in your past with a kid. Once you learn the story, mm-hmm. right. you had a very different approach to that child. Right. And I think that's something we all have to do uh, better as as you know counselors, as parents, as teachers. We need to be able to do that better for our children. So one of the mistakes I would say is try to stay away from teaching. Uh, try not to make them move at your pace. Move at theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, honor their questions, but give them no more. Don't answer more than that. Let them let them ask things and let them process with you, but don't give them more than what they request because sometimes you push them too quick or too far, mm-hmm. and it just kind of it makes it more confusing. It makes the process a little more difficult. I think yeah. that's a, just a good rule of thumb with parenting anyway. Don't answer more than what they're asking. <laughs> don't. Sometimes you're thinking with your adult mind, and they're just like, no, I just wanted yes. to know you know, about the clouds, and that, that was really it. That's correct. <laughs> and you went way too far. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Just let them be in their world. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I've learned from uh, some play therapists I've interacted with is they let them design their own world in play therapy. If they're doing sand tray, they let them come in and, and, and develop a world, and then they explain what the world is to them. So they're not we're not guiding them. They're guiding us, mm-hmm. right. and that's part of their healing. And yeah. it's a beautiful thing if we can do that better and just trust that they'll work through that, and we just do it with them. We're like a – I tell parents, you're like a training wheel on a bike. Your job isn't to make the bike move. Your job is to keep the bike upright. Oh, nice. Yeah. 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 So if the kid leans mm. one way or the other, you catch them, but but teach them how to pedal. Mm. They have oh, to do the good. pedaling. That's yeah. real good. Yeah. Yeah. So how much of it, so if you've experienced the traumatic event with your child, how much of your feelings should you um, express to your child or should you hide it or how do you respond when you're That's dealing with great, it too? That's a great question. <clears throat> I remember visiting the gravesite with my father. Um in my mom's gravesite. My dad would take me there. We would take her flowers on a, he still calls me today and says, Hey, it's, it's mom's birthday. Did you go by the cemetery? Uh, so he'll ask me those questions. But when I remember being a kid, I would kneel down and I would clean off the grave. I'd, I'd clean, like there'd be some dirt on it or whatever. And I'd just wipe it off with my hand and we would take the little vase that's in there and you'd fill it with water and put the flowers in. But <clears throat> my dad would wear his sunglasses. And one of the things I appreciated, and I never told him this, but he never wiped his tears away. He would just shield them. He didn't want me to see his red eyes, uh, but I could see the tears running down his face. And I can only imagine, as a kid, I didn't. I just knew he was missed. I, I thought he just missed my mom. Mm-hmm. But now that I've grown up and had my own children, I think he was sad for me too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was thinking about what I would miss out on and what I was going to need along the way. And so to answer the question, I think you let your kids know that it does hurt and it's okay. But I want you to. I want you to make sure that you let your kids know that you're working through it too and mm-hmm. that you're going to get through it. They need to feel like they have the security of knowing mom and dad's going to be okay. The, the scariest thing is sometimes kids think they have to take care of their parents. Yeah. And we yeah. call that parentification. When a kid is parentified, they become the parent to the parent. And when wow. they do that, the child doesn't get to go through their own emotion. They don't get to go through their own development, their right. own healing, because they're trying to help the parent get right. there because that's their security. Does that make sense? That's right. where the stability is. Right. So when that's not no longer happening, I see this with divorce, by the way, but when that's no longer happening, mm-hmm. the kid parentifies and takes that parental role. That's and that so puts the kid in a traumatic, that, that's another trauma. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. it's trying you know? to be the adult. Right. Yeah. Right. And wow. so. With no skills. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so watching my dad deal with that emotion and, and not hiding it from me, to me, it was like, hey, he feels what I feel. There was a way we could connect on it, but my dad was still secure enough to take care of me. Right. I didn't have to take care of him, if that right. makes any sense. And that was helpful, more helpful now that I've realized it than I was when I was a child. 
because I'm a kid. I, what was I interested in? I was interested in the moment, yeah. in, in right. being where I was. My dad was thinking about my future, my past. My He was thinking about all those other yeah. things. And, and his ability to deal with it himself and process it allowed me to know that I could too. Mm-hmm. And it was it was kind of a guide. It acted as a guide for me. Yeah. So I think parents shouldn't shield that. They should allow themselves to do that, but but don't make it the kid's responsibility to care for them. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, you know, this this has me thinking about when, you know, you've heard people say this before, you know, say especially if there's like a young man in the house, a, a, a young boy, uh, and they'll say, you know, well, you have to be the man of the house. Yes. Um, you hear that all the time. And I, I was thinking about this and mm-hmm. – um yeah that that's 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 hard you know that's, that's too a, much responsibility it's too for much it. right for, well for and think of a child do they know what that means no Mm-mm. a child doesn't know what it means so they spend all this time trying to figure out what that is and have no clue and and so they 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 go through their life thinking i have to do these things but what about them you know right. what i mean so they they all that is emptied they don't get to deal with their own stuff and so i have a divorce case um, that I'm working with, and the kid came in to see me, and he told me exactly that. Mm. At five years old, his bio father had committed suicide, mm-hmm. and and the 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 mom could not tell the child. She was just I, I don't know how to tell my son what happened to his father, and so the family friend came in, and I know he was just trying to be helpful. But the family friend comes in. This kid's 14 now. I think he's 14, maybe 15, but he's he's an adolescent. But the family friend comes in to see to meet with him and says, "I need to tell you what happened." And he says, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to look in the sky and find the brightest star. And so he looks up, and he, he sees a star in the, in the sky, and he says, okay, you see that star there, the one you picked out that's the brightest? That's your dad looking down on you. And he goes, okay, kind of a little confused. And, he, and then he told him what happened. Dad had, your dad had passed away. He's in heaven with Jesus. And then he told him in return, he said, I want you to know uh, that you're the man of the house now. And so for all those years, he carried that. Mm. So he, he, he's made it his responsibility to care for his sister, to care for his mom, to, and he's carried that, that, that burden all the way. So, yeah. And now that I think about it, I'm telling a story. He's actually an adult. <laughs> he's in his, I think he's in his 20s. He's wow. not a 15-year-old. But he, he, he was telling me about the constant burden he's had to carry mm-hmm. you know, regarding being the man of the house. And what does that mean? And I asked him, what does it mean to be the man of the house? He didn't know. Mm-mm. Some adults don't understand that, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's hard to understand. I'm gonna ask as my a, wife. Why? Certainly not a teenager. Why? Great yeah. point. Yeah. Um, goodness, you know, and that has been thinking about even, you know, burdens and responsibilities that sometimes kids have mm-hmm. uh, in homes where maybe they have to, maybe both parents are working, um, and an older sibling has to take care of a younger sibling. Right. Um, and the burden of basically parenting mm-hmm. their siblings versus just being siblings with their siblings, mm-hmm. um, you know, or, or working. Um, you know, if they don't work, then the family doesn't eat. That's right. You know, um, you see that a lot. You yes. know, where a lot of people, the, the kids, you know, they go to school, then they go after Right after they're done, and they go straight to work. They work until ten or eleven o'clock at night, and then they're expected to, you know, have an, you know, and then to keep on going and maintain their grades and all the other stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, wanted to go in a different direction. Go is ahead. so. I think that there are. You can think of these traumatic experiences as you know. I was kind of more coming into this thinking more of 
the big things, but what you're saying is there's a lot of different factors that affect it. So I think a lot more people are going through trauma and may not even realize that um, it has happened in their lives. Um, how does that impact learning? So yeah. with all this going on, whatever, if it's a pet or, or if it's a loss of a loved one or, you know, <laughs> whatever it is. Um, so now they still, you know, as a teacher, uh, it, I still have to teach the content. And they still have to pass the test and do the assignments. Uh, but knowing, and I, and I saw it in some of their eyes. You know, I saw kids that were really, really troubled. And, uh, but academically, you know, life has to still go on. So how, how does it impact learning? That's a great question. Um, and, you know, I've worked in the classroom as a behavior interventionist uh, really about two years. Mm-hmm. So being specifically in a classroom, that's that's about as long as I've had in one dealing with the behavioral issues and things of trauma that have occurred yeah and i worked in an alternative setting so you're talking about getting we were the only alternative elementary school in tarrant county at the time for 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 fort worth isd and so they would send these kids to to us the elementary program and being the behavior interventionist and in the classrooms and then the lead bi i would see so much of that and so i saw how the learning was impacted and kids would get behind and they would uh act out you know sometimes mm-hmm. i had you know you'll have kids that you know it's one kid uh, i'll never forget this story uh he was actually in juvenile justice alternative education so jjap is what that's short for and and what i can recall in his story of course i won't share names but in his story he was always coming out of the class every morning he'd come in and he was sitting outside the classroom and i walked by and say hey man you've been doing this for like the whole week and you've been out of class so you keep getting in trouble so what's up you know, I just wanted to ask him. I was trying to let him kind of get his mm-hmm. way, you know, get his way through it. And and he said, I don't know. She don't like me. Mm-hmm. Teacher don't like me. And I was like, mm, I don't know if I believe that. Quite. Oh, I heard that so all like, the yeah, time. Teacher don't like yeah. me, right? So I said, well, I'll, I'll look into it for you. I said, uh, I said, but can I call you over here for a second? I'm going to talk to you private. So I pulled him in private. And I really went fishing. And what I mean by that is I just guessed. I didn't have any anything to go off of other than I just want to see what he gives me. And I looked at him and I said, hey, man, I said, I think what's really going on is I think that you're struggling with your work. You don't know how to do it, mm-hmm. and you don't want anybody to know. Oh, yeah. And so it's easier to come in, act out, get kicked out of class because, God forbid, anybody know that you don't know what you're doing. Right. I said, but this is just what it feels like for me. I could be wrong. He starts crying on me. Mm. And he said, Mr. Flores, how did you know? Aww. And I didn't. So I looked at him, and I said, you know what, man? It's because I really want to help you. I said, would you let me do that? And he said, well, how can you help me? I said, well, do you want to graduate? He said, yeah. He can't read. How was this kid? He's a freshman. He's oh. supposed to be a senior. Wow. And he was in a freshman classroom. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he can't read. And so you think about what they push. They push the, the state testing and, yep. mm-hmm. and all yep. those things in public settings, and he can't read. And so so only thing he knew to do is I'll just act out, yeah. and then hopefully they'll, they won't want to deal with my behavior, and they'll just move me through. Yeah. They'll kind of push me on. So right. no one took the, the time. But I understand teachers can't do that. You know, they got all their kids to teach. And so as a behavior interventionist, I felt it was my responsibility to try to figure out how do I connect the two between behavior and education and put them together. And that yeah. was kind of my job. And so what I was able to find out is I asked him one question. I said, of all the teachers in your school here, I said, which one do you really connect with most? And it was his math teacher. And so I asked the math teacher to come in, and I said, hey, is it okay if I share with him kind of what we've talked about a little bit? He said, sure. So I told him the situation. And I'll never forget what he did. He looked at him and he said, you really want to graduate? He said, yeah. He said, I want you to come to school early, and I want you to stay with me late every day all through the semester, and I think I can get you caught up. I think I can get you where you need to be. If you're willing to do that, I'll do that for you. And I remember turning to him and asked him, why are you willing to do that? He says, because he cares. Mm. Mm. 
Wow. And so one of the things I think we as teachers, I think, have to do is go back and remember that we have to care about them first. The yeah. relationship is the most powerful thing we have to offer them. And when the kids are in the classroom, if they feel safe and they feel like they're cared for, they feel like you care about them, like they matter to you, yeah. they'll let you in. And they'll actually do it for you. They may not even do the education for themselves, right. but they'll do it for you yeah. because yeah. you care about them and they don't want to let you down. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things I tell teachers is build that relationship. That is your everything. I'm going to give kudos to my wife real quick. She <laughs> she was a kindergarten teacher, and one of the things I remember she she was telling me is the kids like to give front hugs, and the schools want you to do it on the side. Right. Right? They don't want anything misinterpreted. Right. A child does not hug you for misinterpretation. They hug you because they care, Yeah. and they want to know you care back. Yeah. And one of the things my wife did well, she says, I hope I don't get fired, but I, I hug my kids in the front. Mm-hmm. They come up to me, and they hug her, and she just hugs them right back. But those kids know she cares. My wife hardly ever sent a kid to the principal's office for behavior because she could deal with it because the relationship was there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's the thing is I, I, I love to encourage teachers. I know it's hard, but start with something simple as just greeting every kid by name at the front door before they walk in your classroom. Hey, Johnny, nice to see you. Glad you're here today, buddy. Like that shirt. Hey, Sally, great shoes you got on today. Or, you know, one of the kids walks in, they're a little down, not usually down. Hey, Richard, I can – you going okay, bud? Oh, yeah, I'm fine, Mrs. So-and-so. And then what you do is you later in you check in on that kid, calm to the side when everybody's busy working. Just say, hey, Richard, don't you came in kind of sad, man. Is there anything I can do for you? Yeah. You know, just let them know you care. Mm-hmm. Just let them know, I noticed, I'm here, I want to know if I can help. And, 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 if you can do, and if you can't help, use your resources. School counselors are not used like they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. The school counselors are trained in, in the same way I'm trained to be able to understand these things. And I think if we can coordinate that better, I think they can be a huge help to the classroom. Yeah. You know? Are they a good first step before getting oh. counseling, you know, going out and yes. hiring a counselor? Yeah. Yeah. I hate to put more work on the school counselor, but mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because, right. because they're like your, they're your front line. Yeah. And they're there. Correct. In, yeah. So teachers spend more time with the kids sometimes than parents do because yeah. parents mm-hmm. work and do those kinds of things. So you think about it. How, how many hours are kids in school? Is it seven, eight hours a day? Is that about right? Yeah. You know, it depends upon, you know, if they have stuff after school as well. So yeah. it exactly. Longer than that. Yeah. So you think five days a week, that's 35, that's a, that's a work week, 35, right. 40 hours a week. That's where they're spending their time. Right. So the teachers probably know them a lot better than some parents do. Mm-hmm. I hate to say that, but it's mm-hmm. true sometimes. Yeah. And so I would say utilize the resource. The teachers are a great a great start, but I don't want to put pressure on them. They're not trained to, to look at those things. What I would say is if you see something, you sent, you sent something, let the school counselor know. Let them take, yeah. a, take a swing at it yeah. Yeah. because because they need to pick up on something that we can't pick up on. And I wish school counselors could do that more mm-hmm. because I think so that it, it may though. keep them out of my office as yeah. much. You know, yeah. it, that, that may be a good, like you said, uh, Danita, it's a good first step. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, Let's take a second to say, you know, if anybody has any questions or you want to share your experience, please feel free to call in. Our number is 214 214- Four three one five zero six two. Michael, I hear this buzzword: trauma sensitive schools. What does that mean, and how yes. does that look? <laughs> wow, what a question! Trauma sensitive. I, I think that there. My understanding of trauma sensitive is kind of kind of more being mindful and being aware of the fact that trauma does exist and it does play a part in the learning. Mm-hmm. And so, I think being a trauma sensitive school is the, in my opinion, is the idea that you know, you're going to consider those factors when you consider the learning environment. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's great, but I think trauma has a negative impact. I think when you say the word trauma, we think of something negative. Trauma is an experience, and it's how someone plays that experience out. Mm-hmm. Like I said mm-hmm. earlier, someone could have the same experience, and it's not a trauma for them versus a trauma for someone else, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think we need to be more clear on 
I think everybody should be trauma informed. You know what I mean? And what yeah. that basically means is, hey, everybody's going to have some kind of trauma in their lifetime, whether it be young, in the middle, at an older age. But we're all going to go through some kind of loss, something we value, something that has meaning is going to be taken from us because change happens. And if we can just say, hey, we know, we understand, and be more informative, I think people know it's normal. And mm-hmm. I think that's the thing is we don't think it's normal. Oh, I had a trauma. This thing happened to me, right? And it doesn't happen to anyone else. Well, no, that's not actually true. It happens to a lot of people. It's just different. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And I think it needs to be more normalized so that people know that it's okay if you go through something and you can work through it. This is where groups are helpful. You know, a lot of kids benefit from group counseling yeah. or group, you know, having a group in the school mm-hmm. and saying, hey, we're going to have this group in the school just to talk about whatever you feel is appropriate, but letting a counselor run it. And in really treating it as more of an inf- inf- information gathering, almost like a psychoeducational, not necessarily more of a therapeutic, you know, let's, let's really dig in and figure out what your story is. I think kids are, you know, not going to always share that. Mm-hmm. Right, but, right. But letting them know, hey, I'm not the only one. Yeah, that can so be important. therapeutic in itself. Yeah, because you, you can feel so isolated when you're experiencing something like that. Isn't but that to true? see kids that are your age and you can relate to also, I mean, I feel like this as an adult sometimes, you know, just to know that somebody, that I'm not weird. You know, <laughs> that's the best I way may, to say it. I I'm may not be. weird. Yeah, yeah. it may be weird, but yeah. that's right. <laughs> but I'm not I, weird by myself. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm not alone being weird. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. I, and maybe they, they change weird to different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not weird, but I'm different. Yeah. And, and being different's okay. Being weird's not, you know, and so it, it's that stigma. And you're right. You get them in a group setting and the kids realize I'm not the only one. Yes. And that's a, that's a powerful message. Very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen schools inappropriately deal with trauma? You know, um, I'm going to say yes and no to that question. I think there's been times when that has happened, but I don't think it was intentional. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to say no because I also believe that a lot of times we're just doing the best we can and we yeah. know. Mm-hmm. I, 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 don't, I feel bad. I feel like teachers don't get enough training on it. Yeah. They're not trained enough to know what do I look for, what's the behavior. And it's not fair to them. It's not fair to put all that pressure and say, oh, you got that kid that was in your class and you did that wrong. The teacher's just doing the best they can and trying to accomplish mm-hmm. what's on that plate. Mm-hmm. And that here, here, my wife made a good point to me one day. She said, it's like, think of a teacher having a plate, and it's, it's like a Thanksgiving plate. It's full of everything, right? All the things they have to get done in, in a given year, and the kids have to be doing certain things by the end of certain either semesters, trimesters, or the year, right. whether it be reading and comprehension. But they have this plate full, and what ends up happening is nothing gets removed from the plate. Stuff gets added, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and they can't consume all that. And I think right. teachers have a hard time, and that's where I feel for them. And so the best thing I can tell teachers is trust your gut, move at their pace, and always remember the relationship is the most important thing you have. What we do know about trauma is safety matters. If they feel, if the child feels safe, you have everything because they give right. you so much. Mm-hmm. So create that environment for them. And the best you can do that in your classroom, I think that's the most powerful thing you can do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so how, how can parents help their children maneuver through the academic responsibilities that they have when they come home because you know even at with all this going on they go to school all day and they still have work to do at night mm-hmm. and the work doesn't go away just because they're going through a traumatic experience so how would you encourage parents to support their children from the home front that's a great question i think depending on the age of the child um, I think the, young, the younger they are, the more resilient they seem to be. The older they get, they kind of put on – there's more of a burden that they put on themselves. I, going back to Eric Erickson, uh, his his stages, and I'm going to go through some of these real quick. Mm-hmm. Eric Erickson, uh, his stages, the first couple stages in infancy from zero to about a half year age or a year and a half, 
is uh, trust versus mistrust. So the kid's really developing, can I trust you or, mm -hmm. or can I not? You know what I mean? And that's the very first stage. It's so important. I mean, mm -hmm. that's from their, when they cry, do you attend to them? You know, when they're hungry, do you attend to them? So that that's stage one. Autonomy versus shame. Initiative versus guilt. These are all the stages. Industry versus inferiority. So when you get to the school age, 5 to 12, you have industry versus inferiority. That's a competency issue. Am I good enough? Can I do this? Mm -hmm. So imagine having a trauma at that age, right? You're trying to heal from. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you're trying to figure out if you're competent. So all of a sudden, we think we can treat the kid as he's not competent, but continually forget that there was this major trauma that occurred. Right, and right, that's, right. What's, that's what's putting the pressure here. Best thing parents can do is remember pacing is important. I think when a kid comes home with homework assignments or, or certain things they have to achieve, is asking the kiddo, What's it? Do you feel a lot of pressure right now? Is you know mm. just trying to check in with them, see where right. they're at with it, yeah, and and try to modify that. You know, if if it's easier for them to do the work in the morning than it is at night before school, and they actually can do that, then try that. You know, because sometimes we think they come home and they got to get right to work. Well, they got to come home and they got to get their brain settled, right? <laughs> you know, right. and probably put some food in their mouth. I think the, one of the things we forget is is a child a, a child's not eating is a significant sign of something mm. um, because typically when we're hungry, we eat. I mean, you, you think if everything's going okay, you usually eat when you're ill, physically ill, mm -hmm. it changes your eating habits. Right. So I think eating habits are things to look at. That's I think one of the point. things is when kids aren't nourished appropriately, they don't learn appropriately. Right. And so I would even, I mean, this is weird that I'm saying this, but I think parents need to consider that when the kids come home is, you know, nourishing them, um, talking with them, asking about the stresses that they may have, and even ask questions like how they're overcoming some of that stuff. Because mm -hmm. sometimes there's exceptions in that. When you say, tell me how you dealt with that in class today. I know you were thinking a lot about grandpa. Let's say grandpa died. You're thinking about yeah, right, grandpa. Right. Yeah, how'd you deal with that today? Oh, it was really cool. Miss so-and-so said this, and that made me think about this. Or, or we were doing this really fun project today and working hands-on. I think the parents sitting down with their kids and doing it with them is a great way to distract yeah. Um, I think yeah. parents sometimes just expect them to do the work and they walk away. Just I gotta go to clean the dishes. Right. I gotta make dinner. Do it with them, because if you're involved with them, that security is there. Yeah. Uh -huh. And that and that lets the kid know that it's okay. So I would say work with them. A lot of parents tell me I don't know how to do math. I hadn't done that in years. I said, well, guess what? They can teach you because ninety percent of whatever <laughs> they teach, they're going to retain. Right. So right. let them teach you how to do it again. That's great. Yeah. Uh, and so and strategy. what does that do? That connects you to your kid. Yeah. It reestablishes that's that security for them. And that allows the kid to say, I can do this work, and I don't have to be so consumed by the, the, the experience of the event that occurred. Sometimes you can't do that. The experience was so intense right. that they can't disassociate the two things. And that's when you, that's when you look at treatment. Bring them in. Let, let someone help them with some coping and kind of working through that and kind of train the parents. I think one of the things we don't do well as counselors is we'll work with the client. They'll say, fix my kid, and we don't ever bring the parent in and say, well, you're part of the fixing. Yeah. Right. You know, we're, we're all working together here, and there's not really a broken piece. It's we have to work together to help the child heal because that's what they're working toward. They're not broken. They're healing. Right. Makes sense? Yeah. So. And it's important to know what they're working on Correct. so that you can support that at home because you're yes. going to be with them way more than the counselor is. Yeah. If you don't know how to do the work, just let them teach you how to do it. Mm -hmm. And the kid goes, I don't know how to do it either. Then well, I guess we're going to learn together. Yeah. 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 And, and what does that do to your child? What does that – it also – it puts the, the, the onus on saying, hey, look, your schoolwork is important, and it's so important. I'll, I'm going to do it with you. Mm. I want to work with you on this because I want to learn it too. Yeah. And, and, it, and it encourages the learning. And I think yeah. that's a great thing that parents can do to help their children. And I think, trust me, I think teachers would love it. <laughs> I think oh, teachers yeah. would be like, oh, my gosh, I got parents that are involved with this process. Oh, right. They take on so much responsibility. They think they're the only teachers of the kids, and that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> we're, right. we're their main teachers and their first teachers. We are. Yeah. Yes. 
That's absolutely correct. From the womb. Um, let me ask you, is it, how do you know when it's, when it makes sense to return them back to school after something has happened? Oh, wow. What a great question. I don't, I don't have a specific answer to say, hey, when you see this, they can go back to school yeah. or when you see that. I think what you do is, I think you do a slow process. I think it's great if you have, let's say a trauma occurs and you know the kid's not handling it well. This is where I think a parent can schedule a meeting with the school counselor and the child and develop a plan. Because what I've learned helps kids is when they know what to expect, they feel secure. Mm -hmm. And remember that security is so important right. for children. So what I like to do is it's kind of like a, a reintroduction of the child into the program and saying, hey, we're not here to talk about the trauma. We're here to talk about a plan so that we can help our daughter or our son be successful when they return to school. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Because mm -hmm. I, I don't. I think ignoring it is not the right way to do it either. And just saying, hey, you got to go to school. It's, it's necessary. You got to go and push them through it. But I think it's also to say, hey, utilize the resource. School counselor would love to say, hey, you brought your kid in. This thing happened. I see that. I'll check in on them. But let's make a plan on how to help them during the school day when they're here. If, if, they, if something comes up and they're having a rough day or they're struggling on something, the school counselor understands where it's coming from. Everybody's on the same page. Right. And that seems to be really helpful for so kids. So encouraging the parents to, to <laughs> have that dialogue with their teachers with the count with the counselors yes um let them aware of where they're at yeah I, this know, occurred yeah we're not sure how significant it is but if you see anything going on in the classroom this might be part of what's going on just want to make sure everybody's aware and let's see if we can develop a plan on how we're going to help yeah i know i was always appreciative of that of a parent said hey you know um their grandfather died um so just be mindful of of if you see anything going on um, it's probably going to be because of this. Yep. Um, you know, so th those conversations really help me um, versus just thrusting them back and saying, okay, get back to school, get back to work, <laughs> you know, right. and move on. Yes, sir. Um, you know, and then sometimes I know for me it was always kind of awkward, you know, because, you know, you don't really know where the child's at. So I would just check and say, you know, hey, how are you doing? Are you, are you okay? Um, if there's anything I can do, let me know or just, just welcome back. You know, we're, we're just we're so glad to have you back in the classroom mm -hmm. as well um, to try and help them to be as comfortable right. with the transition as, as possible. So I want to ask you from a teaching perspective, uh -huh. do you sometimes see that the kids, when the kids have a great relationship with their teachers and they have that security, they have this, let's say they have this, this death using grandpa, hey, grandpa yeah. died. And the kid actually looks forward to coming back to school to get into a regular routine again. Yeah. Have you found that to be possible too? That that's actually oh, helpful to them sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because sometimes just the the this the the heaviness of the situation, being around it so much, uh, coming back to school, it gives them uh, a break. Yes. Yeah. From from the 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 situation, not that they're running from it. But, you know, when you're in it 24-7, right. now when you're coming back, just getting back to a routine. Correct. Interacting with their friends again and, you know. Normalcy. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. So at least for a little while, mm -hmm. um, this window of time when they're at school that they can just move on throughout the day. Because yep. they know when they go back home, to they're some extent, they're right back in it again. Yeah. So it, it can be a relief as well. Yeah. See, and yeah. I think that goes back to the question: When do you return them? I think you let them let things be normal. Mm -hmm. You know, don't don't mm -hmm. try to make them abnormal. But if there's a significant issue that you know is going to impede their learning, then let's get a plan in place and let's get the right people involved. I yeah. think the teacher and the school counselor can be a good advocate for that. Speaking uh, of getting a plan in place, are there services and accommodations that you can put into place with an IEP or a 501 as a result of traumatic experiences? Oh, yeah, 504 plan? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a great question. I've been in uh, a part of some of those uh, meetings, mm -hmm. and 
they it's really amazing because it's almost like a, a creative session. It's a session designed to get creative on how do we help little Johnny or Susie. It's always Johnny and Susie. Have you noticed that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Poor Johnny and There's Susie. A lot I, of them. Yeah. Right. Any, if I ever have a client named Johnny or Susie, I'm like, there you are. I don't know. I don't know one Susie. Do you know any Susie? Yeah. Suzanne. <laughs> Suzanne. Yeah. Did she go by Susie? No. no, no. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. No. <laughs> anyway, they. I'm sorry about that. I just it, it always seems to happen that <laughs> right, way. Right. Right. But. Yeah, going back to your question, I think that the plan can 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 yes can be developed in in saying we want to target these areas, but but the in reality is it's for educational use. It's right. not for therapeutic use. It's but saying it's, if it's affecting your education, correct. can they do a five hundred four? I believe they can. Yeah. Uh, from what I've seen, I've had kiddos because here's the thing: whether you call it a trauma or not, it still could be for the child. Uh-huh. You may just say, "Hey, mom and dad divorced. He's having some struggle in school. Let's have a five hundred four meeting." Yeah. Right, and let's and let's develop a plan. You're developing an educational plan, but you're really targeting. That, that experience. Mm-hmm, Does that mm-hmm, make sense? So mm-hmm. yes, I, to answer your question, I believe yes, you can, yeah. but they're not going to call it that. They're going to do an educational meeting over yeah. it. Yeah, everything yeah. Is, is absolutely has to be affecting the child's education. Absolutely. But as we're seeing, and you know, there, talk about some of the, um, the, the effects like memory loss and other things that you yes. would see that are going to affect your education. See, this is where it's interesting because I'm almost wondering, I've, I've, this is a theory, I, I, I've, I'm hypothesizing, I'm not sure how accurate this is without going back and looking, but I'm thinking about my own experiences and everything else. There are some memories I, memories of my mother I don't have and some I do. And I remember mm-hmm. I was four and, and so some of them really stick out for me and, and some I've let go of. But if I see a picture, it, I reflect on it. And I think what that is is it's not necessarily maybe memory loss. It's almost like the brain's way of of protecting mm-hmm. the child, mm-hmm. so it lets go of that memory. Makes sense? Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't it doesn't shelve it. It says I'm gonna. It's it's not that it's gone. It's just it moves it away, because that focusing on that memory is so painful and hurtful. I don't want to focus on it, so I'm gonna take you this direction. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sometimes I'm wondering if memory loss is really a design by the brain to protect the child. Could be, yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering. I mean, I'm yeah. not saying it's I'm 100% accurate in that, but I'm wondered if that's possible as well. Yeah, I, I remember losing my best friend to cancer, mm-hmm. and I this was the first time I'd really ever grieved someone close to me, and I could not remember things at all. My memory was just shot for a, a little while, for probably three months. Yeah. So I can imagine that that would be difficult for, for children if, sure. if they experience that with grief. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think, and the thing that we've learned too is the, 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 the intensity of the trauma is typically from the reflecting. <clears throat> so <clears throat> my wife told me this the other day. She said that, she says, is it true? She asked me, you know, is it true that an emotion only lasts 90 seconds? And I said, I couldn't, maybe, I said, I couldn't, I can see how that's not false. So you think about when we scroll through Facebook or Instagram, you see a funny video or something, it only lasts really about 90 seconds. You either share it or you move on from it, but you're done. Yeah, you don't keep on laughing five minutes later. Right, <laughs> <laughs> right. or someone brings it up <laughs> later, you <laughs> might, but because it's momentary. But, right, right. But I think what's funny about it is the reason that they stick with us is the con- the continual reflecting our brain's reflecting on that experience over and over and over and over yeah. and over again. And right. that's, I think, how it traumatizes us. Yeah. Because right. it's sticking over and over and over and over. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think of, like, accommodations like, you know, maybe, like, <coughs> redirection. Mm-hmm. You know, if if a kid, like, to your point, if someone's thinking about something, you know, I've seen kids that are just, they're physically in the room, but they're so far yeah. away because of something that may they may be reflecting on. That's as right. well so you know um this is kind of new to me as well mm-hmm. but you know would you encourage parents to talk with a counselor about the academic 
effects it could have to see if they could qualify for accommodations? Would that be a, a next step? It's possible. I think my fear with, with trying to, because my understanding is once a kid gets into getting accommodated in 504, that sticks with them all the way. Makes sense. Well, if they don't already have that. If they don't already have it. Yeah. 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 Like needing to get one it, as well, a result of a traumatic well, I know, experience. Well, in, in special, with, with special, with, with, special the, ed. Yeah, with mm-hmm. IEPs, that, that's ongoing. The 504, yeah. that's... That's, situational yeah it's, it's situational from year mm-hmm. to year right and i think see that's that's my point with this is it's it's an experience that happened it's a situational thing i believe that healing will occur and it will be over time mm-hmm. but but yeah i don't want to put the kids in a, in a in stuck in a glass because i think that's what they look for a lot of times i feel like kids are looking for something to hold on to and say this is what's wrong with me uh-huh and it makes me sad because what about what's right with you <laughs> right you know they yeah. get so caught up on that and you're you're going to hear depression and anxiety and and so what i think we have to do to go back to your question is i think it's great to have the 504 have the meeting have the dialogue but let's not let's not make it about their problem mm-hmm. let's make right. it about what we're helping them heal yeah. use a different word so, so while yeah. we're working on healing right rather than while we're working on your trauma Right, <laughs> you know, right. Have, have a different way to to, to, <laughs> to sure. state that, right. yeah. yeah, right. Because I think that that does something to our brains uh, because of the the stigma and and you know when we say trauma we think negative, you know what I mean. When we say right. healing we think progression, you know what I mean. So right. we have to right. we have right. to use the right words I think, and I think if it's done that way I think it's very powerful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think that's something to consider. So we have about one more minute. I would okay. like to know. <laughs> Um, if you can quickly do this. I'll do this as fast um, as I can. As parents, how do we build resilience in our kids to help them recover well from traumatic experiences? Because as we said, we're most most of us are going to experience one. So is there are there things that we can do to help them kind of bounce back? Yeah, that's a great question. I think you have to start with their strengths first. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of times we, we, we forget that children are already built resilient. They're already they're they are so in the moment. They are like, I mean, think about it. A kid can be Superman at one point, and then they're, you know, SpongeBob another at another point, and that <laughs> right. can be on the spade of ten minutes. And they really believe that they're these characters. You know, I remember putting on a towel and thinking, "Oh, Superman, I'm gonna jump off." You know, my my grandma's <laughs> porch, even though I thought it was high, it wasn't that high now. <laughs> but it's that idea that you, the kids already have that in them. And so one of the things we do as parents is we have to acknowledge it's there. And we also have to be willing to move at their pace with them. Mm-hmm. So one of the things you can do if you want to really teach them something is sometimes talk about how you work through things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, That's it's good. okay to say, hey, you know, I remember one time I was – tell a story. I was really sad when Grandma died, and I remember I was – I had I, Grandpa was really awesome. I used to go visit Grandpa more often, and he would tell me stories about Grandma, and we'd laugh, and that made it feel better. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, tell the kids stories about how you dealt with your own struggle because then they know it's okay. Remember, it's that thing is I don't want to be weird, mm-hmm. right? I want to be different. But sharing with them like, hey, it's normal. We go through things, and I remember dealing with that. My dad crying and letting the tears come out. It was okay to cry. That was that. Right. He doesn't probably realize that, but to me it was him saying – you can grieve your mother. It's okay. He's not wiping the tears away like I can't let you see it. Right. You know, he's got his glasses on. Don't look at my red eyes. But here's the tears coming out underneath the glasses. So I think one thing parents can do is kind of let the kids know that it's okay. I'm, I'm here with you. I can share stories about how I got through things. And that's typically the lesson. Don't tell them how to do it. Share with them how you got through it. Yeah. Does that make sense? That's yeah. good. Yeah. And one, one final thought. We had a friend who um, last summer had a fire. Her house was a total loss. And she has two young boys. And she went through great pains to make sure that they um, 
they continue to have some sort of normalcy. She continued to have playdates in the neighborhood that they that their house was in, and um, she spoke to the school, and she, she put a lot of things in place to, to help them to recover well. Um, but one thing she forgot to do is to help herself. And oh, so she was saying that now, you know, they're back in the house now, and you know it's been completely redone and everything, and all is good. Um, but one thing I want to remind parents is to remember to help yourself kind of like on the airplane that's right <laughs> when put you your put your mask on first, first yeah mm-hmm. don't forget this if you experience them with this with them mm-hmm. you need to also take care of yourself mm-hmm. and seek counseling if that's something that you yeah. um you think that that would be helpful it's a great point i think the thing i tell people is if your cup is empty you have nothing to offer yeah so you got to fill your cup and, right. and if you fill your cup with some of your own healing you can share that healing and that processing with your children my dad was healing as i was healing we were doing it together yeah i wasn't his responsibility to heal it was mine and he wasn't mine and, and we kind of shared that that responsibility together right. but i wasn't alone and i think that's what i would say is it's okay i think parents don't think it's okay i can't hurt actually it's the best thing to do is say hey i'm hurting but i'm getting through it mm-hmm. yeah. that's the best thing you can do because then the kids go it's okay yeah. Right. You just don't want them, the kids, to think that they're responsible for taking care of your hurt. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. You just want to try to. Right. Yeah. Make sure that doesn't happen. All right. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. Okay. Thank you so much for joining Thank us. You. This has been a great conversation. I think really helpful. So for some parents that are dealing with this or that might deal with this in the future. Um, as always, we want to know, let you guys know what's happening with Noggin. Um, we developed a visual schedule that will that you can download from our website. If your child has a tough time, like our kids do sometimes, staying on task, getting ready in the morning and the, in the evening when they get home, you'll really want this. This provides 26 images to choose from, and what you do is you hang them up and they pull them off the wall as they accomplish them. And this really helped. This helped our um, our son that has autism greatly and he doesn't even use it anymore he mm-hmm. said that i i it's in my brain now that yeah, cool <laughs> yeah, it's, it's in really my brain cool. now like it's, it's in like my brain yeah, that's yeah all the pictures are in my brain so uh, you can download that for a ten dollar <laughs> donation to noggin educational foundation on our website schooldazedshow.com so david what's happening with noggin educational coaching so um just launched well i opened it up a, a little while ago but on facebook um, there's a new Facebook group. It's an open group, so anyone can join. It's called Empowering Parents for Academic Success. The whole purpose of the site, uh, of the group, is to bring parents together um, to go through this journey of learning um, with one another and providing resources. I'm going to provide uh, lots of resources for parents as well. Parents can come in and engage with one another to share with each other mm-hmm. what their struggles are. Hey, this is how I, you know, this is how I work through this. You know, hey, have you thought about this as well? Uh, so we're literally just getting this off the ground. Um, and we have like twenty some odd people right now, so we're, we're you know, we're growing uh, each week. Um, but I want to encourage every parent if you are on Facebook, uh, especially if you're on Facebook Live, and anyone else who has a Facebook account, empowering parents for academic success. I want to encourage you to get in, plug in, join in, um, and let's go through this thing together because uh, we all need each other to help us get through this journey of parenting and helping our child to be the best they could possibly be. And we'll have a link on our website for that. Uh, sure, yes. I'll put that on there. Okay, th- thank you, dear. <laughs> so next week's show is going to be super fun. What's happening? So next week is our Kid Takeover. Uh, this is our spring break show, and my co-host will be Hunter Paris, who is a junior at Argyle High School. And we'll talk to 13-year-old 
uh, Ali Baran uh, and 10-year-old Ava Sanchez about their experience with school. So it'll be me and a bunch of young people um, up here taking over, taking over the mics and, and sharing their perspectives on what they wish parents knew. Mm -hmm. uh, from a child's point of view. So we're excited about that. Yeah, and that's going to be good. So as always, head to our website, schooldaysshow.com for more information. And remember, you don't ever have to miss a show. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and Stitcher, and Intune, I think. So, and always follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We share a lot of information about parenting as relates to school and um, just tips and sometimes some inspiration and, of course, information about School Days Show. So go to at Noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N Foundation, and find us on social media. And last of all, we always want to end by saying we are, David and I are parenting by grace. We depend on God to give us the wisdom and strength we need to raise our kids into flourishing adults. And if you would like to know more about that, email us at info at schooldazedshow.com. Have a great week. School Dazed is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation. At Noggin, we provide free educational resources to students from low-income families and support to their parents like the preceding broadcast. School Days is made possible by the generosity of listeners just like you. Please consider donating to Noggin at Noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N, foundation.org.